one of the defining characteristics of scripture that makes it different than any other form of literature is that its depths are inexhaustible. Yes, one might, for example, read the Harry Potter books multiple times and might even pick up on new or interesting details each time. But the takeaway message of the story never really changes. With scripture, however, one phrase or even one word can prompt the passage to be seen in an entirely different theological light. One can read scripture over and over and over again and have a completely different experience each time. Scripture possesses this quality not simply because it is a masterwork of human literature, though it is that. The riches of Scripture are inexhaustible because Scripture is the Word of God, and God Himself is inexhaustible. When we read Scripture, God continues to speak directly to us, and God never runs out of things to say. The earliest Christians experienced this just as we do today. And so they developed a language to describe the different ways in which Scripture speaks to us. Specifically, previous generations of Christians spoke about two different senses of Scripture. The literal sense and the spiritual sense. The literal sense is what the author meant to say when he wrote the words. Catholic biblical scholarship today heavily emphasizes the literal sense and teaches that the literal sense must be understood and respected before any deeper sense can be discussed. The spiritual sense, on the other hand, is the term used for the emergent properties of Scripture, the new meanings that seem to appear on top of and beyond the literal sense. The spiritual senses are how God is still able to speak through millennia-old documents in new and fresh ways. We see these two senses of Scripture on full display in the last line of today's Gospel, in which St. Matthew writes, And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The literal sense of this passage is simply a logistical one. The Magi did not report back to King Herod. It is a note that moves the narrative along and sets up the context for the murder of the holy innocents in Bethlehem. We have no indication that St. Matthew intended anything more profound than this when he wrote those words. However, since at least Pope St. Gregory the Great in the 6th century, scriptural commentators have seen in this passage a deeper spiritual sense, namely, that once we encounter Jesus, we are never the same. That our experience of the Lord changes us and forces us to abandon our old ways in favor of new roads. If we have an experience of Christ, we will be different. Take St. Paul, for example. St. Paul would have been raised in a Jewish tradition 
that read our first reading from Isaiah in a triumphal fashion. Isaiah reads, Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. Nations shall walk by your light, and kings by your shining radiance. This passage of Isaiah was written in the aftermath of the Babylonian captivity, when the Jews realized that they were always going to be a minor nation, threatened and coerced by neighboring powers. They dreamed of a day where the Lord would vindicate the Jewish religion and the Jewish people, when all nations would bow down to the superiority of the God of Israel, whose holy city was Jerusalem. But for St. Paul and the Jews of his time, this vindication did not carry the tone of evangelization, where all nations are brought to right worship for their own sake, but instead carried the tone of superiority, where the focus was on the supremacy of Israel. And yet, in our second reading, we hear St. Paul say something extraordinary. He says, the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and co-partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is unthinkable for a first-century Pharisee like Paul. The Gentiles were the great enemies, the perennial threats to Jewish superiority. St. Paul went around killing Jews who acted too much like Gentiles. And yet, after St. Paul had an experience of the risen Lord, everything changed for him. His entire view of God's revelation and God's plan shifted, and Paul's subsequent life was conducted along a different road, a road where his singular focus became preaching the gospel to the Gentiles as co-heirs with the Jews and equal sharers in the promises of Christ. Unlike St. Paul, I cannot point to an exact moment where everything changed for me. I cannot identify a specific encounter with Jesus, more like many small moments along the way. And yet, I still agree with the famous statement of Pope Benedict XVI that being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. I'll read that quote again. Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. At some point, or at multiple points, every Christian has encountered Jesus, and that encounter has changed us. These encounters are what fuel us and keep us true to the Christian path. If you, like I, struggle to identify where these encounters have occurred in your life, let me offer you the last stanza of T.S. Eliot's famous poem, Journey of the Magi. 
All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again, but set down this, set down this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. In the mind of Eliot, through the mouth of the wise man, an encounter with Christ is simultaneously life and death. Life because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the source of all being, the center point of all history, the eternal resurrection, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. But the encounter is also death, because encountering Jesus always forces us to rethink our priorities. It always makes us uncomfortable in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. When we encounter the God incarnate, we die to ourselves and to our old ways and to our old priorities, only to be reborn into greater life. If you want to know where you have encountered Jesus, ask where you have been challenged to make a change for the sake of greater life. Ask where you have been told to take a different road. Whatever forced that challenge, that change, is very likely the presence of the Lord. He makes his presence known in unexpected places, and it is often hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. And yet, when we realize it has been the Lord, and when we see the life that has come as a result, we can say with the wise man, I should be glad of another death. It is strange to think of a baby as a challenge. To imagine that one encounter with a nobody family in a nowhere place could set erudite kings on a completely different path. But that is the power of our God. When we encounter him, he always changes us. <laughs>